Our Father, we, we can approach you this morning as Father and call you our Father because you have loved us so much that through Jesus Christ you have adopted us into your family. We are children of God. And Father, we, we just we stop right now and we revel, we celebrate right now that we are in your family. And then in adopting us, you are never going to unadopt us. You are never going to abandon us. You are never going to forsake us. But praise be to your name. You have brought us to yourself. You have made us your sons and your daughters. And we have obtained an inheritance that is undefiled, that is, that is everlasting, and it is reserved in heaven for us. And so, Father, right now, as a, as a local body of believers, we understand that we're more than that. We're a family. We're in Your family. And so right now, Lord, praise be to Your name because You are a good Daddy. And Father, we want to come before You right now and we, we want to ask for illumination. We pray that You will shine the light of Your wisdom. The light of Your love. The light of of Your grace, the light of Your excellence, the light of Your beauty into our hearts and into our minds that we may see You more accurately. That we may love You more deeply. That we may worship You more strongly from our hearts and that our lives may be transformed from one glory to the next as we have beheld the glory of our great God. So Lord, as we conclude the sermon series in Proverbs, we pray that this will not be the end of wisdom, but rather the beginning of a life of wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you're visiting with us for the first or second time, uh, this morning is actually the conclusion to our series from Proverbs. It's called Real Wisdom for Real Life. And we have been in this series now for 15 weeks. And in this, in this series, we first started by looking at what wisdom is. Can anybody define for us what wisdom is? Carson, we'll let you define it today. What is wisdom? That's right. Wisdom is the skill to navigate all of life toward the glory of God. And what we've also said is that folly is the exact opposite because the book of Proverbs really contrasts wisdom and folly. Folly is the skill to defectively navigate all of life toward self-glory, toward your own, your own self. And so what we've seen all the way through the book of Proverbs is either you can choose a life of wisdom or you can choose a life of folly. You can choose a life that has a trajectory toward God or a life that has a trajectory toward self and sin and depravity. And, but it is a skill. Wisdom is a skill. And so every sermon beyond the first sermon has talked about the skill of doing something. Because we said, listen... Wisdom is a skill, and so you need to have the skill of, or the wisdom of, trusting God. And we talked about, in that second sermon, we said that wisdom is the skill to to essentially trust the integrity, the power, the character of Almighty God with all that you are and all that you have. And some people would say, is that really a skill? Yeah, it's a skill. 
It's a skill to trust the Lord every day that you wake up. It's a skill to trust the Lord in your business. It's a skill to trust the Lord in your parenting. It's a skill to trust the Lord with your education. It's a skill to say, I'm exchanging all that I have and all that I am for all that Jesus Christ has and all that He is. It's something that you cultivate every day in your life. Phil preached about the skill of guarding your heart, of keeping your heart. And what we said in that sermon is that your heart is who you are. It's who you are on the inside. And if you're ever going to navigate your life toward the glory of God, it starts with your heart. It starts with who you are, what you want, what you long for, what you desire, what your will is. We also said that it takes skill to enjoy God's gift of sexuality. We took Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And we said that, look, sex is a, is a good gift from a good God and that we need to enjoy it in the covenant of marriage. We need to avoid it outside the covenant of our marriage. And we need to train our kids to do all three of those things. But that even is a skill. We talked about the skill of working diligently. Now we said, your work matters to God. It doesn't matter whether you're 14 years old. It doesn't matter whether you're 34 years old or 64. God has given us work to do. And we're to do it diligently and wisely for His praise. And we have to have skill in order to do that. If you can remember, we talked about the skill of speaking words of life. You know, the, the fact is, is that God has called us to be His ambassadors. You remember us? We said that an ambassador is someone who speaks on, the behalf, on behalf of a king. And God has designed you and I to speak on His behalf. And so every time we open our mouths, we can either speak words of life, words of blessing, words of love, or we can speak words that don't edify, that don't encourage and don't bless. But nevertheless, it is definitely a skill to be able to speak words of life. We talked about the skill of blessing your city, the skill of, of making plans, the skill of even being a friend. We said that a, a friend is someone who seeks your highest good. Someone who is in community with you and who loves you and who courageously cares for you day in and day out. We talked about the skill of avoiding addictions and the skill of being fearless. Remember last week, we studied one text and it says that the fear of man sets a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is what? Safe. We talked about the skill of fearlessness. Listen, when we fear the Lord, there's nothing else we have to be afraid of. And so this morning, we're going to look at chapter 31. And we're going to look at verses 10 through 31. Because what we find in these verses, all right, is the portrait of a person. And in this case, it's a woman. The portrait of a woman who embodies the skills that we've studied. She values God's wisdom. And she has internalized God's wisdom inside her heart so that then she expresses it in her life. Listen, she works diligently. She is a good friend. She exercises compassion. She trusts in the Lord. She doesn't fear man. She doesn't, she doesn't live in addiction. She's not a fool, but rather she is wise. And we see that played out through all of the verses in the ending of this book. This is what Proverbs 10 says. Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 is doing. It is calling you to a life of excellence. It's calling you to a life of excellence. Now, it's, it's painted as a portrait of a woman. I believe that there are multiple reasons for that. Proverbs 31 is the portrait of this woman, number one, who embodies the wisdom 
of woman wisdom in Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 9. She, she is the expression. Her life is the embodiment of everything that we read about woman wisdom in, in chapters 1 through 9. I believe it's also addressed as a woman because the whole book of Proverbs, as we have talked about, the whole book of Proverbs is addressed from a father to his what? His son. So he's telling his son what kind of woman that he should look for. And by implication, what kind of wife he should have. And he's also telling ladies what kind of woman she should be because because in Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7, we see woman folly. But here we see woman wisdom, okay, played out. I do want to say this to all women. Um, It's easy in Proverbs 31 not to be encouraged, but to be discouraged. And the reason it's easy to feel discouraged is because this, this woman, in some ways you look at her and you're like, she's superwoman. She does it all. I mean, she, she is like the most amazing woman you've ever seen. And I will tell you that I don't believe that, that God is expecting every Christian woman to embody and perform everything that she embodies and everything that she performs. I believe that it is a model. I believe that it is, uh, it is a way of excellence. But I don't believe that if you fall short in some of these areas, that somehow you're, you're falling short of godliness. I just don't believe that. One of the reasons I believe that is that some of you probably know this, but this, this passage here is an acrostic. Um, basically, Solomon takes the, the Hebrew alphabet and, and essentially just goes down like our A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and he, and he takes one attribute, an uh, attribute that starts with A, an attribute that starts with B, an attribute that starts with C, and says something about the excellent woman. It's just a way for him to to describe in not, not, not a succinct way, but in a cool way, what are the marks of true excellence? Okay, so he could have gone on and on and on, but he just uses the alphabet in order to highlight some things that a, that a woman uh, does in a life of excellence. Okay, so don't feel crushed by this today, ladies. Don't feel crushed, don't feel discouraged, but do feel inspired and motivated to aspire to a life of excellence. But I want to tell you men, and you, you boys and you girls, I don't believe this text is just for women. I don't believe it's just for wives. I believe it's for everybody in the church. I believe it's for anybody who wants to be wise and anybody who wants to achieve to a life of excellence in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's don't blunt it. Let's don't minimize its impact. Let's all be willing to be taught how to live a life of excellence from the end of this book. So what I want to do is I want to give you 12 marks of excellence right now. 12 marks of excellence that we should all strive for in our own lives. And obviously with there being 12, then it's going to move pretty fast. We're not going to get super deep in every one of them, but we're just going to follow the text and we're going to see what the text yields for us. But 12 marks of excellence that should mark every person who wants to live for the glory of God. Beginning in Proverbs 31, verse 10. The first thing we see is resolve. Resolve. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. Look at the text. Excellent. An excellent wife. Some of your versions say noble. 
Listen to how the lexicons describe and define this word excellence. It means power, strength, bravery, competence, efficiency, wealth, nobility, and then I just put etc. I mean, it is in the Bible, it is used to describe a variety of, of strong characteristics. It is, it is used elsewhere to describe workers who are precise in their work. It is used to describe landowners who are wealthy in their possessions. But listen to me, it is used most often to describe warriors who are courageous on the battlefield. And so what this proverb is conveying is that the excellent woman, listen to me, is engaged in the battle of life. She is engaged in the battle of life. She is strong, she is competent, and she is courageous. She possesses an outstanding and and superior quality. She stands out among the regular populace of women because there's something remarkable and special about her. Look at her. I mean, look at the question. Who can find an excellent woman? I mean, this question implies that it's what? It's hard to find one. It's hard to find one. They're not everywhere. And I asked the question when I first started studying this week, why is it hard to find an excellent wife, an excellent woman? The first is because excellence doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. It goes against the grain of the human heart to pursue excellence. It doesn't come easily. It requires hard work to be an excellent person. It doesn't come passively. It takes an aggressive approach to be excellent in who you are and what you do. Excellence comes through a disciplined effort to glorify God in every aspect of your life. The fact is, you must be resolved to be excellent. You must be consistent to be excellent. You must be rooted in something special to be excellent in the way that you live. You've got to have a vision for excellence if you're ever going to be an excellent person. But when those things are in place in your life, what does the text say? It says that she is far more precious than what? Jewels. Man, she is so valuable. And I will tell you, God values excellence. Make no mistake about it, church. God values excellence. God values you taking, taking care in everything that you are and everything that you do. Minimalistic living is not God's plan. Doing just enough to get by is not God's plan. Unwillingness to address problem areas in your life is not God's plan. Making excuses for a lack of personal excellence is not God's plan. God's plan is for you and I to be excellent in all that we are and in all that we do. It doesn't matter whether you are a 12-year-old student and says to yourself, well, school is not my thing. Listen, school is your thing. You're in school. And so God calls you to be excellent in your education. You say to yourself, well, I'm 20-something years old and I've got a job, but I just don't like working. Hey, tough that you don't like it. Get a vision for excellence in your work because God has called you to excellence in all that you do. Listen, you can be excellent. I don't care whether you're a mom or a dad or a child. I don't care whether you're a worker. It doesn't matter whether you're single or married. You can be excellent. No one in this building is disqualified from a life of excellence and is unable to achieve a life of excellence. And the reason I know that and the reason I say that is because Jesus Christ was a man of excellence. 
Jesus Christ is one who was rooted in the love of God, rooted in a relationship with God, and expressed excellence in all that He did. And we talk about this a lot, but because we belong to Christ and we possess the Spirit of Christ, we also can be people of excellence as well. One of the men that I admire most and read is a man who lived in the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards had a resolve to be excellent. If you've ever read any of his writings, he's very famous for writing his 70 resolutions. He wrote them down when he was 19 years old. He wrote down 70 resolutions. And I would tell you, those resolutions are resolutions to be excellent in all that he did. If you've never read them, I encourage you parents to print them out off off the internet and read those resolutions to your kids for a time of family worship and see what this teenager resolved to do. And what did he do? He read over those resolutions once a week for the rest of his life so that he could be resolved to be an excellent man for the glory of God. I call you to be resolved to be excellent in your life because that's the first mark of excellence. The second mark is faithfulness. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband... Trust in her, and he will have no, the ESV says, lack of gain. That word trust means he has confidence in her. He's unsuspicious of her. And the way she lives her life, the way she spends her time, the way she uses her words and serves her family and treats her neighbors gives her husband complete confidence in who she is. Gives her comp- him complete confidence in the fact that she is a trustworthy woman. And so he trusts her completely and entrusts his heart to her. You know, one of the reasons that he trusts her is because she's not only faithful to him, she's faithful to God. And she's, he sees her faithfulness to God and her love for God and her loyalty to God. And as a husband, he says, I know that I can entrust my heart to a woman who has entrusted her heart to God. And so the text says that he will have no lack of gain. Well, one of, the re- one of the things that that passage is saying right there, that phrase is saying, is that she's not a drain on him. She's not a spiritual drain on him. She's not a physical drain on him. She's not a material drain on him. No, why? She actually produces good for him and for the family. But I want to draw your attention to that word gain. Because... The ESV uses this this word gain that we don't really get a kind of this vivid picture. But the Hebrew, the original, it uses a term plunder. Plunder. Does anybody know what plunder means? Spoils. Exactly. It's like victory spoils. It's like when when, uh, two armies would go up against one another, the army that would win would then get these victory spoils. They would, whether it be the... The, the gear that the opposing army was wearing or the gold and silver that was back at the campsite uh, or whatever, they would get all of these spoils and come back and now possess it for themselves. And look at the text. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of plunder, of victory spoils. She goes out and fights on behalf of her family and comes back with, with victory spoils. Her family benefits tremendously from her efforts as she battles in life. And so listen, if you want to be a person of excellence, you must cultivate faithfulness. You've got to be faithful to God. You've got to give yourself over to God every day. There is no way 
that you will be faithful to your spouse, faithful to your kids, faithful to your parents, faithful to your church, if you're not, first of all, faithful to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And I tell you what, you can say, you know what, I'm gonna, this afternoon at the family meeting, I'm going to sign up for cleaning up the building. I'm going to sign up for preparing a meal. I'm going to sign up to be on the music team. Well, listen, we want all the people that we can to sign up for all those things. But if you do that without cultivating faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, loving Him in prayer and singing to Him in family worship, then your service at this church is going to be worthless. Because you have to, first of all, cultivate a relationship of faithfulness to the God who loves you and has saved you by His grace. And so you must engage in the battle of life and go to war for the people that you love, just like this excellent woman. That's that's what she does. She engages in the battle of life and she goes to war for the people she loves. The third mark, the third mark of excellence is love. Verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She contributes to her husband's welfare each and every day. She doesn't sucker punch him with unedifying speech, unhelpful actions, unwise decisions. No, she has no desire to make life difficult for him. And so what does she do? She pursues her husband's highest good every day. That's that's how we define love around here. We talk about it all the time. Love is the pursuit of the highest good of the object of its love. It is an aggressive, proactive approach to say, I'm going to seek this person's highest good. I want what is best for him. I want what is best for her. I want what is best for them. And so I'm going to pursue it day after day after day because that's God's calling in my life because He has done the very same thing for me. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, He has pursued my highest good. Good. And so how does she do this? How does, how does an excellent wife pursue the good of her husband? Well, I think first she, she prays and she meditates and she gets her heart right with God. And then she plans a way to live in such a way that she knows it's going to edify the people who are around her. And then she goes out and executes that plan every day. She executes the plan. So if you want to be a person of excellence, you must actively love the people in your life. The fourth mark of excellence is diligence. Is diligence. Now, we're going to look at a, a string of texts here. I think we're going to go from 13 to 19. We're going to look at how diligent this excellent woman is. Verse 13. She, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She seeks it. That's the first word in the original. She seeks it. That is, she proactively pursues and carefully investigates the best materials to make clothes for the family and resources for the functioning of her business. I want to ask you, uh, with what kind of attitude does she pursue? Does she pursue this wool and flax and work? What's her attitude? Uh, Braden? Joyfully. Yeah, that's right. You get that from the word willing. She willingly does it. She doesn't begrudge it. She takes great delight in the process of producing resources that benefit the people who are in her life and in her community. I just want to just speak uh, just a bit of personal testimony right now. I think one of the worst kinds of people to be around is the person who begrudges work. The person who begrudges laboring. Listen, God prioritizes 
and then instructs us to work diligently in what we do. And not only to work hard, because that's what we're supposed to do, but to work with a joyful heart, an excited heart, an exuberant heart, that we get to reflect our creative, working God. We get to be like God when we work. And that's why she is excellent, because she joyfully embraces the call to work diligently. Look at verse 14. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. It's one observation that we want to see here is that she doesn't settle for what food and resources are most geographically convenient to her. Notice, she's willing to invest extra time, extra effort, extra money to get what her family will most benefit from. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She gets up before the sun comes up. Why? Because she takes the responsibility to provide fuel for everybody in her household, whether it be her husband, her children, the workers that she has with the business that she runs, but she takes the responsibility to provide for them. Why? Is that what God has said in His Word? Not necessarily. No, because she just loves the people around her and she wants them to achieve their highest good each day and she knows for them to be well-fueled is one way to do that. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She has plenty of freedom in this family. She has plenty of freedom uh, with with her husband. She she goes out and she has freedom to look in the community and go out through all the, the land and the surrounding areas and to buy and to sell and to trade. And in this case, she sees a field and she says, oh, this looks like it could be a good field. And not only does she purchase it, but she begins to tend it and plant for a vineyard. That comes. Verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Fact is, she doesn't let herself go physically. Why does she not do that? Why is she, why is she concerned with physical strength? Why? Because she knows that she can be the biggest blessing to the most people for the longest time if she's physically strong. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. Man, she realizes that her produce and her materials are valuable. And so I think Jesus was the one who says you need to work while it's day because at some point it's going to be night. She understands that she's got materials and produce that needs work, that needs tending, and she's going to get the greatest return on her investment if she works and toils right now while she has what she has in order to produce a profit. And then verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. I think what Solomon is seeking to say here is that she is not only multi-talented, but she does everything. She works hard and she labors and uses all of her gifts and abilities because she is diligent to apply wisdom in all that she does. Now, this is a, this is a daunting, kind of a daunting picture of this woman. She is so diligent. But I think that what God would drive us to do right now is to ask the question, in what ways can we be more diligent? If diligence is this mindset to consistently labor to glorify God and build up the people who are in our lives, how can you and I become more diligent? If you're a husband in here, how can you be more diligent to build up your wife? If you're a parent, 
How can you be more diligent to build up and strengthen your children? If you're just a single person who's been given friends and coworkers and bosses or people who work for you, how can you invest in their lives? Or if you're a member of this church, how can you invest in this church in such a way that Christ is magnified, that people are encouraged, and the kingdom of God is built? I want you to ask that question seriously about yourself right now. How can you be more diligent? That's what the text is driving us to this morning. The fifth mark of excellence is compassion. Verse 20 says, She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. You see, she's not only talented and resourceful, she's generous and compassionate. And what does she do? She sees the less fortunate in her community and the people around her, and she doesn't turn a blind eye to them. She doesn't turn her back on them. No, part of the regular routine of her daily life is to prepare materials and food for people who need it. I get that. Part of the regular routine of her life is to prepare materials and food for people who need it. So that she's prepared to give food to the hungry. She's prepared to give a coat to somebody who's cold. She's prepared to, to, to give a, a hot tea to somebody who comes in off the, uh, off the streets who is, is freezing. She has a heart to help people in need, and she does it. I think sometimes we, we misunderstand the word compassion. Sometimes we understand the word compassion to mean uh, someone who has a heart of pity for, for others who are going through pain and difficulty. You say, well, that's a very compassionate person who feels a heart of pity. That's not compassion. Compassion is seeing someone going through a difficult and traumatic experience, feeling pity, feeling, feeling uh, sorry for this person, and then being willing to do something about it. That's what compassion is. You do whatever you're capable to do to alleviate the suffering and the trauma for the person who is experiencing it. That is true compassion. And the reason that it's very important for us to understand the difference between simply looking at somebody and having this feeling, this heart feeling of turmoil, and then just moving on with our life versus seeing this trauma and this suffering and then doing something about it, the difference between those two is the difference of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because you see, Christ looked at us and saw us in a traumatic, suffering broken, terrible experience, and he didn't look at us and say, oh, I really hate it for those guys and girls, and then turn around and just continue in communion with the Father and with the Spirit. No, he says, I'm going to have a heart of compassion, therefore I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to enter into humanity. I'm going to take on the form of human flesh. I'm going to live in an unbroken way. I'm going to be sinless. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to live the life that they're supposed to live and aren't. And then I'm going to ultimately die the death that they deserve, but they ultimately won't because of what I'm doing for them. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit so that I can give them exactly what I possess, a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart of grace, so that they can be just like me. You see, when you and I 
When we extend compassion to people, all we're doing is demonstrating who we belong to. We belong to Jesus Christ who has been compassionate toward us. And so, the person who is excellent is compassionate. The sixth mark of excellence is preparation. Preparation. Verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Now, uh, that's a, kind of a debatable word, scarlet there. It could also mean thickness or double thickness. She's not afraid of the cold weather because everybody in her house already has layers of clothing that are double thick. Layers of bedding that are double thick. She's prepared her home for the worst of conditions. I mean, she's like the ant in Proverbs that prepares for the winter during the summer. All right, she is prepared. And folks, I just want to tell you that preparation is the key to excellence. Yeah. It's the key to excellence. Yeah, it like if you, if you want to have an excellent marriage, you've got to prepare for it. Yeah. I recently sat down across uh, a, t- a table at a restaurant with a couple that wanted to, uh, me to officiate their wedding. And it became very evident to me that they had not prepared well to be married. They were already living together. That didn't disqualify them because I could, I could, we could easily work through all of those things. But when I began to tell them about the preparation steps before they could get married, the counseling sessions, and the homework that was going to be involved, the, the conversation took a different turn to it. And we'll just, just say that I didn't do their wedding. All right? Because... Because preparation is important if you're going to be excellent. And if you're unwilling to put in the preparation, then don't be surprised when a year or two or ten later you're going through major problems. Preparation is key. Preparation is key if you're going to be a good parent. And I'll tell you, one of the best things that Jamie and I ever did was we went to a parenting conference about four months before we ever became parents. And it was the best thing that we possibly could have done. Preparation is key to worship. And I'll tell you, When Phil and I meet on Mondays, I know that there are some Monday mornings that we've got a lot to do, and we're thinking to ourselves, boy, we could get a lot done otherwise. But we know that if a worship service is going to happen that glorifies God and edifies people, preparation is absolutely critical. Preparation in the study of the Word, preparation in worship, preparation in prayer, preparation in discussion. It doesn't matter whether you're a student. It doesn't matter whether you're a wife. It doesn't matter whether you're a worker. Preparation is the key to excellence. Nobody stumbles upon excellence. It takes preparation. All right, seventh. Seventh is thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. Look at verses uh, 22 and 23. Verse 22 says, She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Now, the only other time that we've seen this this, uh, two-word phrase, bed coverings, was back in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 where the the woman Folly, the wayward woman, the adulterous woman, prepared bed coverings, if you can remember. And she says, listen, I've prepared bed coverings. My husband is gone. We can come and, and enjoy ourselves. But here, this excellent woman makes bed coverings. And then she wears this these fine clothes and this purple. I will tell you, I believe what's going on here is that this woman is thoughtful toward her husband. She doesn't neglect her marriage covenant. She doesn't belittle the importance of having a warm and inviting bedroom or a beautiful appearance for her husband. She prioritizes the excellence of her appearance for the blessing 
of her husband. Fine linen and purple were, were really the best of the best back in those days. Very few people wore purple. The, normally, the only people who wore purple were, was royalty because they were the only ones that could afford it. But here, she invests in clothes and likely even makes them in order to please and bless her husband. Look at verse 23. Her husband then, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Why is he known? Because she has built a strong reputation in the community. People know her. People respect her. People admire her. Man, many have even been the the beneficiary of her generosity and her love and her compassion. So much so that when her husband enters into the public arena, into the gates in this case, now the gates are where the elders met in order to make decisions for the progress of the city. It was kind of like the city hall, so to speak. So that when this excellent woman's husband approaches the city gates, his reputation precedes him, and his reputation is partially built on her reputation. She's thoughtful. She has a considerate regard for the feelings and the well-being of other people, and most specifically her family and the people in her community. And so I want to ask you this question today, church. How thoughtful of a person are you? How thoughtful are you? How much do you consider the well-being and the feelings of other people around you? Do you think to yourself during the day, how could I bless my spouse? How could I surprise my kids? How could I, how could I please my parents? How could I bless my best friend? What kind of message could I send to one of my friends who's struggling that might lift their day a little bit? What could I do around the house that may or may not get noticed but will be a functional blessing to everyone else in the home? How can I bless the people around me? Listen, if you want to be excellent in this life, you have to take your eyes off of the mirror and turn away and leave that entire room and say, I'm going to bless and encourage and surprise the socks off of the people that God has put in my life. Are you thoughtful? If you're thoughtful, you're way down the road of the the way of excellence. Then eighth, I want you to see ingenuity. I-N-G-E-N-U-I-T-Y. I will tell you that I worked for more than 15 minutes on the proper word to use right here. Could not find a better word than ingenuity. But look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. And then she delivers sashes to the merchant. And so she makes, she makes clothes of linen, vests, scarves, veils, you name it. She sells them to the buyers. She delivers them to the merchants in exchange for money. And and she undoubtedly has people who work with her and who work for her to get these things accomplished. The bottom line is she has a multifaceted enterprise is what she has. And in order to do all of these things, she's got to be creative. She's got to be prayerful. She's got to be diligent. She's got to be hardworking and disciplined and organized. All the things that someone who has ingenuity has. She's not a minimalistic kind of person. She has creativity. Ninth, fearlessness. Fearlessness. Could have used a couple different words here, but I wanted to kind of grab the one that we used last week. Look at verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, 
And then here's the fearless part. She laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the time to come. Well, her strong character makes her an honorable woman. That, that's the deal. It, it, um, he's using a metaphor here. He's not saying, hey, look, she's, she's, got, she's got these clothes that are strong. She's got, digni- you know, she's got these clothes that are dignified. No, it's just a metaphor, a picture to say, when you see this woman, the first things that you think about are strength and dignity. You think the way that she carries herself, the God that she loves, the faithfulness to her husband, the love for the people around her, the compassion that she exhibits, the thoughtfulness that she demonstrates, all of that are signs of strength and dignity. And so she's clothed with that, and then she laughs at the future. What, what, what is the deal with that? Well, I know this. Nobody knows the future except the Lord. But one thing that we all know is that the future holds difficulties, it holds problems, it holds obstacles. We all know that that's coming. None of us in this room who are pursuing wisdom think that the rest of our life is going to be peachy. It's going to be a day at Disney World every day. None of us think that, okay? Because we know that there's going to be suffering and pain and, and, and trials and difficulties and conflicts. And this woman knows that. But she laughs at it. And why does she laugh at it? Because she knows that she has the fear of the Lord. She knows that she has wisdom. She knows that she's prepared for whatever comes her way because she's rooted in an awe of Almighty God that produces a confidence that she's not afraid of whatever comes her way because she has God on her side. And so she's fearless. You know, I I called you to a life of fearlessness last week. That's what I called you to. The text called you to that. I want to ask you right now, how did you do this week with that? We, we, said that? we said that fear, the fear of man is essentially pursuing the acceptance and the approval of other people. It, it, is, it is just being so afraid that you're not going to be accepted, that you're not going to be approved. That's what we said that the fear of man is. How did you do with that this week? Tell you, if you are pursuing excellence, what you're saying is, what, what you're saying in your mind and in your heart is, I'm not real concerned about what Jimmy and Sally and Joe and all the other crowd thinks of me. I am most concerned about what God thinks of me and how I can honor Him in this life. That's the way the excellent woman is. Tenth, tenth mark of the excellent person is edification. Edification. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And so what we see here is the true spiritual quality of her life. Man, she doesn't speak foolishly. She speaks wisely. She doesn't speak harshly. She speaks kindly. These two words, wisdom and kindness, they're very important. Look down at them. She opens her mouth with wisdom. Jamie, that's the word chokmah that we studied in seminary, chokmah. It's the, it's the skill to navigate life toward the glory. That's an inside joke. I'm sorry, Jamie used to make fun of me trying to pronounce Hebrew words when I was in uh, Hebrew grammar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll sing the alphabet before the sermon is over, okay? So uh, y'all get a tr- kick out of that. And then kindness. This word kindness, you will also be uh, interested to know, it's not just random kindness. I mean, you guys have seen, I've seen the bumper sticker, practice random acts of kindness. Y'all seen that? That's, that's a fine idea. But this word is hesed. Hesed. That is the word that is most often used in the Old Testament to describe God's covenant 
loyal love for his people. And what does the excellent woman do? What does she do? She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of God's love, loyal love, covenant love, gracious love, compassionate love is on her tongue. The fact is, if you're in the room with this woman, then you are receiving wise words that make you better than what you were when you walked into it. And if you're in the room with this woman, you are feeling the love of God come from her lips. It's like it's coming down from heaven into her heart, out of her mouth, and you are the recipient of God's grace and His love when you're in around her. That's the picture of edification. And I, I do believe this. More than anything else, the way that we speak with one another marks us as excellent or not. I mean, Pam, if you think about it, you and I really see each other going in and out at church or sometime of fellowships, and the way that you and I know one another most is how we speak to one another. It's how it works. And so if I'm going to live an excellent life in such a way that I edify my brothers and my sisters, I've got to have words of love and words of wisdom flowing from them. I have to edify. Eleventh mark of excellence is consistency. Consistency. Verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This word looks, it means to keep watch. She is like a soldier whose job is to keep watch over the fort at night. And the soldier marches back and forth and back and forth, making sure that everything in the fort is just the way that it should be. That there are no enemies that are encroaching. There are no problems within. And taking, taking very clear inventory of what's going on inside the fort. And she's just like this soldier. She looks around. She looks at her husband and his needs. She looks at her children and their needs. She looks at her workers and their needs. And she says, okay, what can I do to help meet the needs of the various people in my family? And I want to make sure that they get done. She is consistent and diligent in taking inventory of her household. And then she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. She, she's not lazy. She works with wisdom, she works with efficiency, and she works with love in her heart. So she is consistent. And then finally, because she is all of these things, we see honor. The twelfth mark of an excellent woman is honor. Look at verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And because she is so excellent, her kids voluntarily rise up and announce to the community that she is a blessed woman. God has graced her with gifts and abilities and talents and and, and love and wisdom in such a way that her husband then does the same thing. Notice that he stands up and praises her as well. And so what are his words? I believe that his words are both found in verse 29 and in verse 30. He says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Man, he, he describes the strength and the dignity of his wife. This is the thing. He watches her life. He admires her excellence. He, he, he receives her love, and then he is blessed by all that she is. And so in verse 30, he also says, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, 
is to be praised. What is charm? Charm is the, the, the power to attract people by the way that you look or the power of your personality. Beauty is the physical qualities that, that just please the eye. We all know what beauty is. What Solomon is saying here and what this husband is saying is, listen, um, he's not saying that it's not good to be beautiful, it's not good to have charm, but if you're trusting in your beauty or you're trusting in your charm, what you're trusting in is something that is empty, something that is passing, something that is fleeting. Beauty, now charm is deceitful because without wisdom, it's completely empty. Beauty is vain because it doesn't last. It's like a breath that... that that word right there, um, vain, it literally means breath. It's here and it's gone. So if you're trusting in beauty, then you're trusting in something that is absolutely empty. I, I just want to pull a car over for just a second and say this, church. Um, our culture doesn't just value beauty and value charm. Our culture deifies beauty and deifies charm. And I, I want to say this. God does not look frowningly on charm or beauty. Okay? Beauty is, beauty is good as far as it goes. But I want to tell you, when it comes to a life of worship, a, a, a family life, a church life, and a life lived toward wisdom, Beauty and charm are pretty much meaningless. They're pretty much meaningless. So don't dare base your relationships and your pursuits and all of the way that you organize your life and what you watch and who you want to be trying to be more beautiful or more charming. Because at the end of the day, it is meaningless. It's worthless. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Okay? So I think that it's very important for you to deprioritize beauty and charm and to prioritize godliness and the fear of the Lord and honoring Him. Because if you go, if you roll, if you roll with the culture in even little ways, then what you're going to find is that you have the priorities of the culture. And when you have the priorities of the culture, you don't have the priorities of God. And when you don't have the priorities of God, you can't live an excellent life the way He's called you to live. I want to be on record for that. Because we're not trying to be a church with the most beautiful people and the most powerful personalities. We're trying to be a church of people who are pursuing the glory of God by being wise in the way that we live. Okay, Um, what does she do? She she, she fears the Lord. She fears the Lord. Um, We have previously defined the fear of the Lord as an unwavering commitment to the sovereign majesty of God based on an awesome reverence for who He is. That's how we've defined it. And this is what this woman is all about. She she has an unwavering commitment to the God of glory because she knows that He is Creator. He is Redeemer. He is faithful. 
She knows that He is worthy of all praise and all glory. And she knows that forever and ever she is going to be at His feet worshiping Him because of His worth. And even though she is tempted to to go toward beauty, even though she is tempted to go toward charm, even though she is tempted to woo people by her looks, that is not on her priority scale. That is not even on her radar. Why? Because more than anything else, she wants to please and honor her Savior, her Redeemer. So, verse 31 concludes with this charge. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. Why? Because she is worthy of honor. Not only in her family, but also in her community. You know, the Scripture elsewhere says, give honor to whom honor is due. And I will tell you, it doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, if they live this kind of life, if they have these marks of excellence, they are worthy of honor, both in private and in public. Okay. Wow, I preached longer than I anticipated to preach, you guys. Um, I want to conclude this sermon in this series just, just a few things. First, I will, I will um, heed my wife's encouragement uh, with the alphabet. Um, one of the ways that we learn the alphabet in seminary, and it's, it's exactly how this goes down the line here from, uh, from verse 10 all the way down to 31, is we learned it to the tune of Yankee Doodle. So here it is. Olive, Baton, Gimel, Dalit, Hay, and Vav, and Zion, Chaitan, Taitan, Yodin, Kaf, and Laman, Renum, Samak, Ayan, Pay, and Sade, Kof, and Resh, Sin, and Sheen, and Tav. Can I get some kind of, uh, okay. So this is the deal, is that every one of those verses starts, verse 10, Olive, verse 11, Bait, verse 12, uh, olive, bait, um, dollar, you know, all those. It just goes all the way down. All right? Okay, enough of that. Enough of that. All right, so this, this is the deal. All right? I want this church, I want this church to continue to study Proverbs. I will tell you, I have not enjoyed a sermon series as much as I've enjoyed this, this, this study in Proverbs. I wish we might could have doubled the length of it. But this is what I want to do right now. I want to, I want to help you keep studying Proverbs for the rest of your life. So here we go. I'm going to give you some practical ways to study Proverbs, and then we're going to, we'll conclude. All right, I want to give you this first suggestion. Read the book of Proverbs three times every year. And so what you could do is you could read it like once a day in January. You could read a proverb a day in January. And then you could come back to it in May. And then you could come back to it again in September. But I believe that the genre and the style of Proverbs lends itself to reading it consistently over and over so that you can get God's wisdom into your heart more often. All right, the second encouragement in reading Proverbs is this. Spend ten minutes reading and meditating on the chapter. Ten minutes each day when you're studying it. The reason I say that is, look, we could probably read Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 in a matter of, I don't know, one minute. But if we say we're going to give 10 minutes to it, 
and we say, God, teach us what you want to teach us, then we can meditate on particular Proverbs and God can teach us. We can roll it through our mind and down into our hearts so that we can actually learn. So that's really the third encouragement. Don't worry if you don't finish the chapter. Just don't worry about it. Okay, so let's just say it's January the 7th and you're reading Proverbs 7 and you're caught, you know, down at verse 15 or 16 or 17 or something like that. You're like, okay, I'm not even going to worry about the rest of the chapter. God, I want you to teach me right here, right now, what you have to say to me. Before you read, make this request to God. Simply say, God, show me how I can grow in wisdom today. Show me how I can grow in wisdom today. And then, in that day, take one of the Proverbs that you read, take one of the verses that you read, and try to memorize it. Just just roll it over in your head, like we talked about last week's text. Okay, the fear of man sets a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. All right, you want to take passages like that and begin to meditate and memorize them. And then talk about the Proverbs around the house with your family. Just talk about them. Verbalize them. Write them down on sheets of paper or on uh, bigger... What are, the, what are the bigger sheets that you can put up? Yeah, poster board. You know, you can put a poster board up and put up a proverb and say, hey, this is going to be our proverb for the month of January. And we look at it. And when you're having family worship or you're having, you're having a breakfast, we go over this one proverb and say, this is the proverb for the week or this is the proverb for the month. And then apply proverbs in the most practical ways. Just, just say, you know what? I, I've got to grow. Now, I... You could be a deacon in the church, you might be an elder, you might be a Bible study leader, you might be a home group leader, whatever you are. But you need to say, there are areas in my life that are weak, and Proverbs exposes those weaknesses and helps me to get strong, help me to be teachable, and help me to apply wisdom as I read the book of Proverbs. Okay. If you want those applications, just send me an email and I'll, just, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll email them back to you. If you would, just bow your head as we conclude this series. I want to give you the opportunity right now to reflect on your life in light of the wisdom of Proverbs. Would you be willing right now to ask the Lord to investigate your heart and your life. Would you you be so bold as to ask God this one question? God, where am I not navigating my life toward your glory? Where am I not navigating my life toward your glory? And would you listen to God right now? Would you listen to Him? Be willing to be corrected right now. Be willing to be rebuked right now by the Holy Spirit. He wants to expose your need. He wants to expose the area right now in your life where you desperately need to grow. 
And then would you talk to God about it? Confess your need and cry out to Him for help. He will grant it today. He will give you the skill that you need to live for His praise.